Good to see some familiar faces here again. My name is uh, Jordy. I grew up uh, in Rideau Ferry and uh, with my wife Heidi. We met at Carleton University at Vando, and those were our quiet kids in the back, specifically for <laughs> our children. We've got four children, uh, seven, five, four, and one. So um, it's a good time at home. It's a great time at home. Uh, I work in the area, work in family business, and um, my wife and I used to be in uh, campus ministry on university campuses. We started out as students in Carleton, then we went overseas, and then we ended up at the University of Guelph. And uh, after uh, three or four years in campus ministry, we decided to move home and work in the family business. It is... Uh, it has been uh, an awesome ride working with my father. Some of you might know him, um, my father and mother, Terry and Heather, and they've really set up their business to, uh, they've turned over the keys or turned over the ownership uh, to the owner is. And so that's a, a privilege my father and mother who uh, run a business but know who the real owner is. And so that's a, a privilege uh, to have that from day one when I work with them. Um, when I was 19 years old, two doors over, uh, which is the food table, which used to be Rito Christian Fellowship. I came home from a year of Bible college. Um, I had left for Bible college, not a Christian, uh, believing in God, but not following Jesus. Um, I was, I'll tell you my story sometime, maybe more in depth, but I was literally in Saskatchewan driving through the prairies, realizing what I had signed up for, that I had signed up for a year of Bible college because my parents had suggested it, because my parents prayed for me that I'd have an open heart when they gave me that suggestion to go to Bible college for a year. Um, it's a great story of God's work, but I was literally driving to, um, through Saskatchewan realizing that I had just signed up for a year of Bible college and I wasn't walking uh, with God. So when I came home, I had an amazing year when I came home. Um, I knew that God was real and that he loved me and uh, there was a whole bunch of stuff that happened that year, but my dad asked me to, on a Sunday night, to recap of the year it was about my year. And at the, end, at the end of my kind of recap of the year, it was weird. I was, I was sitting in front of the people that I saw watch, watch me grow up um, with Rito Christian Fellowship, and I committed my life um, at the end of my talk. And so, uh, so special times here in Perth and on Gore Street. And uh, this morning, uh, I do want to talk to you a little bit about evangelism. And, um, you know, something about guest speakers that... When the speaker's out of town, it's usually email correspondence, and, and they sign you up for a topic maybe that they don't want to cover, you know, like um, foot washing or uh, <laughs> evangelism or church discipline. Like, they sign you up for, no joke, I preached at Rito Christian Fellowship one time, and they were going through the book of Acts, and I had the circumcision chapter. No joke. That happened, that happened two summers ago. So you have to think about how you're going to get, kind of get that topic going as a, as a guest speaker. Um, Let's roll that first video. Anything else? Mm, okay. Now, if there was pizza and ice cream every time there was faith sharing, I'd do it. That's a lie. I'm lactose intolerant. Again, another lie. I'm just too cheap to buy dairy. Bottom line, sharing my faith makes me sweaty. Uh, tip number 95, um, use big church words like transubstantiation. Heathens get confused easily, and the more confused they are, the more shame they are. The more shame they are, the more apt they are to make a decision for Jesus Christ. I believe it's a responsibility, no. The privilege, no. The glorious privilege of every believer to share their faith with others. 
That's why I share my faith with everyone I come in contact with. Everyone, really? <laughs> yeah, everyone. How do you do that? Uh, check out my shirt. Can't read it? Try this glove. Not working for you? How about this bracelet? No comprendo? Vistazo a estos. <laughs> Driving behind me? Read my bumper sticker. Says, it's okay if you follow close. I'm going to heaven. <laughs> oh, you're my waiter or waitress? I got a tip for you. Surprise! It's the gospel. I mean, what do you want? Money or eternity? <laughs> I also use these tracks. <laughs> so, what about talking to people about your faith? <laughs> I, I don't really like people. But I love Jesus. <laughs> Scripture mint? I was a freshman in college, the first time I invited someone to church. My best buddy called me. I was working at a grocery store. I was in the back cutting carrots, and my buddy called me. And I just said, hey, do you want to go to church with me tonight? And uh, I remember his words. He said, sure, I got nothing better to do. And I went to church with him. And, you know, I went there because they were serving pizza that night. Um, I don't remember what was said. I don't remember what was sung. During the services, I remember praying for him and just asking God to please reach out and touch his heart or do something because I knew he needed Jesus. And then um, God answered. Seven, it changed my life because I realized I needed a savior. So I actually had to edit that video. There was a, there was a lot more and they went on and on. But um, so this morning, I'm not sure if you identify with one of those people. Um, I'm not sure if North Gators have scripture mints. I had heard that you guys were getting your own scripture mints. It's got NG website on the backside. <laughs> we're working on it. Um, so a few different varieties and approaches uh, demonstrated in that fun video. Um, we'll, we'll, start with the, uh, we'll start with the presentation. So I don't want to talk about evangelism. Uh, evangelism is a unique word uh, in the North American Christian church. It can bring a few different responses. Whether continents and where they're at, but it, it, brings, uh, it can bring a few different responses. Uh, it can bring the response of guilt, maybe because you don't know how to do it, you feel like you should, there's a lot of shoulds involved. Excitement could bring, rarely brings the feeling of uh, complacency. Rarely brings the feeling of complacent. My, my, um, uh, when I got to Carleton University, and I had just committed my life to Christ that summer, Someone, uh, Jason, uh, a guy asked me, he said, uh, do you want to go and talk to students on campus? And we'll go and we can survey some people. And uh, the thing that came to mind for me for evangelism was one older gentleman, this is just one person came to mind, and he was known throughout these churches that I was associated with as giving out tracts. And I, <laughs> when you're about to do something, you kind of have to relate. Like, do I, am I that, will I be that person? What are my thoughts about that person? And um, so that was something that I had to think about is, will this be something that I'll be part of? That particular year in my life, by God's grace, I was a yes man. If anyone's seen that movie by uh, Jim Carrey, I was the yes man that year, uh, specifically in the Christianity context. People were asking and inviting me to years as well. I decided I was going to say yes. And uh, my wife Heidi had one of those years as well. We had those years at the same time where we said, I don't quite understand it. Uh, but I trust these older Christians, and I'm going for it. So I said yes. Uh, the next day at lunch hour, Jason and I, we found ourselves with a fourth. He said, I'm in fourth year political science. And immediately, <laughs> we got the wrong guy. We need a first year. Someone uh, who doesn't know what they want to do with their life, maybe an, art, maybe an arts degree. We need someone that, 
uh, may have a little less opinion on the topic that we're about to start. Anyways, he had strong opinions, um, but uh, we asked him if we could uh, share four fundamentals of Christianity and if he would be open to giving us feedback. Half an hour later, he had told us we had gone through the gospel and he had told us exactly what, what he had issues with with the gospel or what was preventing him. And for me, that was the moment where I realized all these things are just a conversation away. This guy probably had a bunch of thoughts about us coming up and talking to him in the cafeteria, but now 45 minutes, 45 minutes later, I, I now know that the issues that I think are people keeping, keeping people away, a lot of it's just misunderstanding about who Jesus is. And that was a big moment for me, and I realized, I bet you there is a lot of people in the similar boat that have just actually never had a genuine conversation about it, where you go in and, where you go in and you seek to understand. Um, the Greek and Latin word for uh, evangelism, there's nothing, uh, it's not layers and layers thick and complicated, it's simply translated as, does anyone know? Good news, I heard that. It is good news. Um, and it's probably today evangelism will be most commonly associated with uh, some attempt, whether it's a large group or a one-on-one -on -one thing, to share what Jesus has done in your life and how somebody else can know him and have a relationship with God. Evangelicalism, on the other hand, it is a group of denominations, and they have a, a similar set of beliefs. Um, beliefs about being born again, beliefs grouped together, believing in similar things to do with being born again, the Bible being God's word. Evangelicalism, when did this start? This was birthed out of the Great Awakening. So you've got uh, the Lutherans and the Methodists. These are what formed evangelicalism or Protestantism. Today, the growth of the evangelical church is on a faster trajectory than uh, Christianity. So there's about 2.1 billion Christians in the world and 900 million are uh, make up evangelicalism or Protestant. So just kind of a little bit of background. Um, this, there's a slide that says there's two ways to think about it. So, two ways to think about it. Number one, the gift. The late Billy Graham. So we're thinking about evangelism. Is it a gift, late Billy Graham? And we can all totally relate to Billy Graham, right? Like we have, we have filled stadiums, haven't we? And we are articulate. And we have favor with presidents of other countries. There's a gift factor and then there's also the responsibility and the guy in the video that's my favorite part we used to laugh and laugh when that video first came out because he says it's the duty no responsibility no privilege and so there's this there's a responsibility so the question I want to pose in opening this morning is the question of this uh, is it really good news is it good news on paper the fact that somebody the eternal being loves you and made a way for you to know him. That sounds like good news. But for you this morning, individually, is the gospel of Jesus Christ that he was punished for our sin, rose from the dead, and sits in heaven now interceding for us. Is that good news for you today, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, wherever you're at on the spectrum? And I'd like you to open up, if you could, if you have a Bible, to 1 Peter 3.15. If not, it'll be up on the screen. Just going to pray while you guys open up to 1 Peter chapter 3. Lord Jesus, we just take a, uh, another second to uh, claim that you are God. And uh, Lord, would you be our guide? 
Lord, sorry for the times where we haven't let you been guide in our life or Lord of our life. Lord, help us with understanding right now. As we open up your word, it's, uh, it is hard to understand, but would you give us understanding? This is your word, and you want to see it go forward, so we ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 15. Someone who's got verse 15, would you mind reading it out? Verse 15. 1 Peter 3. Three things I'd like to touch on in this verse as we look at the topic of the first thing I want to note about this verse. Number one, Christ needs to be Lord. Look at the start of the verse. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. He's just not telling the church. He's telling us, Christ needs to be Lord of your life. Uh, Things will not go well for me. Things will not go well for you if Christ is not Lord. Take, for example, trying to love people. You can do that for a while. You can psych yourself up. I've got to love these people. got to love these people. Musicians, our culture is saying love people. It's important. This is the thing. I've got to love people. Yeah, you can do it for a little bit, and then that person doesn't love you back, give you the respect that you need, doesn't say thank you enough, or they're annoying children. I'm just speaking about mine. I'm not speaking about yours. And then crash. Crash because you have been trying to love doing something that God wants to empower you to do, he's going to give you the strength to do it. You've been doing it in your own power. When Christ is Lord, he is in control, and he he is going to give us the power to love, as an example. Number two. So, number one, Christ needs to be Lord. Number two, it says, always prepared to give an answer. Maybe you want to say, maybe you want to switch that up a little bit and say, um, Christians, so um, they should be the ones that should have an answer ready. So, always be prepared to give an answer. I, oh, I do want to unpack this for a second. What, do, what does this look like? Does anyone like writing uh, notes on cue cards? Does this mean uh, having some cue cards ready in the glove box or in your Bible case? And uh, somebody asks you a question and you're like, you know, fumbling, get your cue cards, you've got some points written down. Does that what it mean to be prepared? Um, speeches, should you have like a, a one-minute speech prepared? And if somebody gives you more time, then you can pull out the five-minute speech? And if somebody gives you more time, you've got the half-hour version. Does it mean memorization? Memorizing things? And I'm going to suggest for a second that maybe it does. Maybe when it says prepare an answer, maybe it does actually mean having some things ready about your story, about who God is to you. There's a guy named Kari Elrenko. Some of you who are at um, Soli Business uh, know who Kari is. He's a great... Uh, great brother in the Lord, Smith Falls. And when we have someone have a memorized speech, and I hear it all the time because we lead a men's group together in Smith Falls. And when we have someone new, he asked us to go around and introduce ourselves. And he starts off, he says, I'm Kari, I'm from uh, Sudbury, it's a good place to be from. Football was my ticket out. And then he goes on and shares kind of his, his two minute story. Kari has prepared a message that he can share, you know, in a one minute thing. He's not that type of person. If you were to sit down with them, he wouldn't be going off of a script, but he does have that part prepared. So, is it really good news? Always be prepared to give an answer. Christ needs to be Lord. Be prepared to give an answer. Here's what I want to suggest in this verse about being prepared. Maybe, maybe it's not about memorization necessarily, but maybe it's making sure that you are walking with Christ 
that you don't need to fumble for words because it's an overflow of your relationship with God. For example, I could talk to you right now about my relationship with my wife or relationship with a sibling. It's actually just about you talking about your relationship with God. Each of you here, I know, can communicate your relationship with another person to another person. And so as we decide, as we make a decision, say, I'm going to continue to get to know God. I recognize that I'm prone to just be busy and, and forget about him. So therefore, I will put the discipline in my life to meet with God, try to talk about who he is, because I want, first I want to know him, but if I'm going to talk about him, I want to talk about my relationship with him, and that sort of thing is going to overflow. And then we don't have to be fumbling for words, remembering, oh, what is the first, what's point number one about how someone can know God? Because you will be able to talk from your relationship with him. Not that you can't go through the four points of the Campus Crusade, four points of the gospel. Lastly, the last thing about that verse, it says at the end, do this with gentleness and respect. This is interesting. The first generation church had to be coached in delivery. And what are those two words? First generation church had to be coached in how to deliver. And what are those two words? Gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. So there, there goes for you about delivery. Am I respecting this person? Am I listening to them? Am I just blurting out a bunch of stuff? And so I take, this, I take this to heart and say this is for me. Gentleness and respect. This verse is a kind of verse that causes you to take inventory. Would anyone at work or in my life ask, ask me about the hope that is in me? By the way, is that, has anyone ever actually used those words with you before? I know it's a question that uh, it's probably unlikely, but has anyone ever said, tell me about the hope that is within you? No, but... No, but it's going to come in different ways. It's, they're going to, it's going to come in different ways how they're actually curious about your life as you live your life authentically. As you show people that you don't have it all together, but you do have a relationship with God, they will want that. As, as much as we think that Canadians, our culture is moving further away, we want to know what is true, where we're going, the purpose in life. And so as you are authentic with people, as you don't have it all together in the workplace, but you tell people that I'm trying and I'm letting God help me, there will be curiosity. I, I promise you there will be curiosity. But it probably won't be in the form of, uh, tell me about this hope that is within you. It'll come in different ways. Uh, I just want to show you a slide here for a second. This is an oversimplified chart, but it's really two different lives represented here. Number one, a life. A life where you're a slave to sin. So you're a slave to your old self the self that doesn't let Jesus come in and do the work and forgive you. You've got bitterness. A life where the gospel is applied. What do I mean by that? Where the gospel is applied gospel. That's where you let Jesus into those areas of your life and you ask him to do the work. Ask him to forgive. Ask him to take over. And so for bitterness, a life of applied gospel, you forgive yourself. You're able to forgive yourself on an ongoing basis and you're able to forgive others. Number two, you're dealing with guilt and shame in a life of a uh, slave to sin and trust. God's gospel is confident and free. And for fear, you're able to have love and trust. Not because you can, fig- you can, you can um, figure these things on your own, but this is, who, this is what Jesus is promising you. So is this making sense this morning? Sharing the gospel, thank you, has a lot to do with how you and the Lord are doing. It has a lot to how you and the Lord are doing. Not so much about presentation and psyching yourself up. It is about authentic living. 
I want to present to you um, something right now. It's about Jesus giving imitations and Jesus giving promises. We're going to skip one slide, Matthew. Jesus giving imitations and Jesus giving promises. Good, and the next one, thank you. We're going to look at a few things in Scripture here, and, and they click, they go back, they, you, can click all the, you can click through them as I, as I go. I want to show you four or five verses right now. First one goes like this. Actually, wait to click, because we're going to do a little test, Matthew, to see if they can get the second half of it, okay? Did you show the first one? <laughs> no. Come ye who are weary, and I... An invitation. He's inviting us to something. And then he's following the invitation through with saying, and this is who I'll be if you accept my invitation. Here I am, I stand the door, at, at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person or fellowship and they with me. Inviting us, saying, open the door, I will come in. And then the promise, he will fellowship. We will, have, we will be one-on-one with Jesus. Number three, Jesus says, come follow me. And Northgate said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left, left their nets to follow him. <clears throat> Matthew 28, 18, then Jesus said to him, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. This one's more of a command. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. One more. John seven thirty seven. On the last and greatest and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit. Those who had believed in him were later to receive. So this morning, all of these promises are there for us. And I think our responsibility is to ask God for faith to believe that he will come, come through on his end when we accept the invitation. That he will come through on his end when we accept the invitation. The invitation for evangelism is to be a fisher of men. And what is the promise if we accept that challenge? That all authority will be given to us to make this possible. Could you imagine for a second where go and make fishers of men Save as many people. We'll see how you make out. He gave us all authority and on heaven and on earth. And that's what he was passing to us so that we could um, have the strength and power and desire to do that. The third thing I want to talk about is prayer. Prayer and its relationship to evangelism. Prayer is many things. One of those is talking to God about people. Talking with God to God about people. Asking God to show you the way that he sees them. Asking God to show you the way he sees them. And this is key, I think, for me. Giving God our grumpy, lazy attitudes and confessing that to God. I think that's a huge starting point. Tell him that part especially you introverts who psych yourselves up to go be with people or go start new relationships and friendships because you feel you have enough already. Your cup is full in that way. We can give God our poor attitudes about 
this whole topic about anything. We can talk to God about fear, and this is a good one to admit. Matthew 9.35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on, compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Three thick, quick things about this verse. Number one, he had compassion for them. If you lack compassion for other people or you find yourself thinking about yourself most of the day, Ask God to give you compassion and love for people. Lord, help me to love others, to see others the way you do. Help me to have compassion. In my first year, university, when I was a yes man, I, one of the things that, many things I said yes to, thankfully I trusted those people, by the way, that challenged me to do different things because they led me down a great path. Uh, Margie and I have a mutual friend. His name is Darren. And Heidi, I'll put you in there as well. Mutual friend, Darren. As a first-year student, Christianity, even though one of the things, church, so much, so much was new in my in power to change on campus. One of the things was we did a prayer walk. Long story short, I didn't understand how people could pray with their eyes closed walking, and I realized that they would stop, and so we didn't have to walk with our eyes closed. So there was lots of things I was learning. But we got to a place on campus where uh, we started praying for international students. And uh, Darren had just been back from, uh, he had actually been in Japan, and he had also been in China, and in previous trips. And he was praying for international students, and he started crying. And I just remember looking up, and I was like, I have never seen, a, a, we'll call it a young person, I've never seen a young person before weeping over the state of somebody else's soul. I'd seen people be emotional in church before. I had never seen someone start crying because they cared about all of these people who didn't yet know Jesus. And how could you not be challenged with that? You're like we're, you know, we, we look and I'm like, what are the things that I care? Like, what are the things that I care about? What things would make me cry? Not that, in that moment, that would not make me cry. And I, and I don't understand Darren and where his head's at for this. But that was a big thing for me was watching someone um, where God had given them compassion for people in the Orient. Number two, harassed and helpless. This is strong imagery. Just think about these words. I realized before I got into this verse that I was just used to this verse, but harassed and helpless. Think about some of the sectors of society that we care about who are harassed and helpless, and that is very strong imagery. Spiritually, these people were vulnerable and been led astray. And that's, how, that's the, the way that Jesus wanted to see them, wanted us to see them. And then the last thing about this verse is, it says the harvest is plentiful, and I'm just going to make a quick little note here. The harvest is plentiful, few. There's no deficiency on God's part. He will provide the harvest. What he's saying is the workers are few. God is doing his part by turning souls to him and working in their heart. The workers are few. Just remember that when you read that verse. Being part of someone's journey in whatever way begins with prayer as God allows us to care enough for people than ourselves. A guy um, in my first year, he showed me his prayer journal. He was a, a leader. He would go around to different campuses and mentor us. And my name was, was in his prayer journal. And uh, I had, first of all, I hadn't seen a man with a prayer journal before, right? Associated journals with women, honestly. So this man had a journal. And secondly, my name was in it. And I was like, you know, 
you should ask before. No, I, I didn't think that. Again, I was open-minded. I, open I, was, I seriously was. But I was like, why would he take time? This guy I see twice a year. Why is he praying for me and these other buddies? Like, this guy is important, an important guy. Like, what does he have better time? You know what he prayed for? This is interesting. Okay? Uh, I pray that these men would give um, something like three to five years of, uh, of their life to full-time ministry to minister to students on the university campus. And uh, Heidi and I were in ministry for four years. And we weren't waiting for that prayer to come to fruition, but that's what specifically he prayed for. And so we pray, and I realized that I had no structure to prayer life, and maybe you are like that, where you say, yeah, it would be good to pray about people. Yeah, yeah, I agree to that. But then we leave here, and there's no, there's no action step. And so when we've got a list of names, and this was all through when Heidi and I were students, this, this was all the way through at Carleton University. We called it My Five, and we just tried to pray for five friends every year, and God made us more mindful of those people, and people saw of those five friends, people move closer towards Jesus, and it was such a, 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 cool, a cool and simple thing. We're going to watch a video here for a second, and um, the guy's name's Penn Jillette. I won't talk about it too much. Some of you know Penn & Teller. It's the magician show. Uh, it's a very, very successful show. He's a bit of a comedian. He's an outspoken atheist, but... After one of his shows one time, somebody offensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes <laughs> and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. But this guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a buck. Just a few quick things about this. By the way, Penn, Penn's story isn't over. And uh, that guy who took the courage and said, you know, Penn is an atheist. He's an outspoken atheist, but I feel like this is, this is important stuff. I care enough about this man. And uh, just a few quick things about it. I've, this video has really impacted me. He says, how much do you have to hate, some, hate someone to not proselytize? Not that you would choose to hate someone, but look at what the conversation about Jesus offering forgiveness and offering a way out, offering freedom, offering um, um, heaven. He's from an atheist. And he said that message. It's interesting coming from, from, uh, coming from an atheist. And he says, if you think a bus is headed my way, but you don't tackle me. Um, so this is kind of a, a wake-up call and a really interesting perspective on, on this. The other thing he said was, um, he says, if you think it's socially awkward, if you think that you're not willing to do this because you're, you're going to risk some sort of social awkwardness. 
And if that's what it boils down to, we should, we should come to grips with that. That I'm making a decision right now to not do something or say something or invite someone over or whatever, wherever that person's at, because I think that it could be awkward. And it's interesting when you boil it down to that trade-off. We're going to look at the woman at the well, two verses from the story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Um, I've, got, I've got two more different things I want to say, I've got a few things I want to say about this, but there's a re- this is one of my favorite stories. And uh, I'm going to put this right now into a few sentences. Essentially, what has happened is gender things happening well, and it's just him and a Samaritan woman, so there's lots of cultural and gender things happening in this moment. It's a unique meeting. The woman tells Jesus, sorry, Jesus tells her that she is actually spiritually thirsty, and men will never quench her thirst. That's the essence of it. Verse 28 goes like this. Then, leaving her jar of water, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who has told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And then going down to verse 39, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything that I ever did. This is a neat story. You know why? Is, one of the reasons why is because her testimony was literally five minutes, five minutes old. Her testimony was the time it took her to leave uh, to when she got to town. She had a five-minute-old testimony. And the testimony was simply, come meet this man. And so while we are not able to bring people to physically see Jesus, that is simply the invitation. Can I show you this verse? Can I pray for you? You are making invitations, right? And thankfully... God is, the har- God is at work in doing the harvest. Subconsciously or consciously, I believe that this woman made a choice. She already had a poor reputation, we know. She put her reputation on the line again of the ones because she believed that people in her town, probably some of the ones that chastised her and mocked her and uh, made her an outcast, she decided that eternal life was more important than holding a grudge against someone or against possibly being laughed at and called crazy again. She put those things on the line. And so when we think about evangelism, essentially I think it boils down to asking ourselves, what is more important? What is more important? The souls of men and women or what I think this, how I think that conversation would go? They're going to react to some sort of imitation. React we spend a lot of time thinking about how they're going to react to some sort of invitation, then you will convince yourself out of talking with them because it'll be, it's always worst case scenario. They won't be friends with me. They'll call me, what did uh, uh, Penn say in the video? He was nice. He was normal. He was sane. Yeah. You know, I'll be put in that category where I'm not one of those people and I don't, I want to represent Christianity really well. I want to be the best representative of it. And in doing that, we just were not in the moment enough to be able to say, I'm just going to talk to them and ask them, where do you stand with spiritual things? Really quickly, I'm going to show you a book. It's called I Once Was Lost. The book's probably 10 years old now, um, but it identifies five thresholds. And we'll go to those five right now. Five thresholds for someone going from, basically, if you've got the scale from atheism to, to following Christ, making a decision for Christ. This book was very helpful for us in Canada understanding that maybe the best way isn't to just put in his at is the timing we'll work on it. <laughs> there you go. 
<laughs> Matthew's a trooper. Like he had, he had 30 seconds to prep for my complicated uh, AV requirements today. Thanks, Matthew, very much, by the way. Number one, knowing and trusting a Christian. I can't emphasize this enough. We could spend another, another sermon right here. What it is to know and trust a Christian. So this is a really neat book. I once was lost, and it walks through these different steps that people go through. Becoming curious about Jesus. So this is after they trust a Christian. Becoming open to change, seeking God, deciding to follow Jesus. If you are convinced that evangelism has to do with taking people from zero to number five, then you will be overwhelmed, you will get stuck there, and you will probably not engage because you're like, I can't do that. And you're right, you can't do it. And I like the simplicity of this. Well, I can get to know people. I can build relationships. Uh, my wife and I, we have that busy little family, and we're in and out of our house. And who here lives on a crescent or like a road that, you know, you kind of know all the cars on the, on the road, so you know, yeah. So who waves here? Does a little wave on the way in, like, know that person, know that person. And that's really what a lot of neighborhoods are like right now is we're busy, and we say that we're busy, and we tell people that we're busy, and we do, we wave at the, oh no, the white car, that's their family, I think they've got, well, they've got four or five people, you're like, got these waves going on, and, and that's as far as it goes. So we, tr- and by the way, my wife's in, and about half the, we've done it for the last two years, and about half the people come, and by the way, my wife and I are not evangelists or rock stars by any means, and we have lots of conversations about, are we doing what's most important right now. We've had a bunch of those actually in the last few months. Like, are we doing stuff? It feels like we're just busy with our kids and not getting to know other people. And we felt, we have felt in that place many times before. So welcome to the club. And we decided to have a barbecue. Can I talk about the barbecue? And we, had, we made up invitations. We ran around with our kids. Some of them, anyways, we did it. And uh, slowly, we're getting to know some people and have a few reference points with them. The first year that we had the barbecue, there was like two traumatic events that happened on our Crescent um, with health and mental health. And I bet you nobody on the Crescent would know. And I was just thinking about what it's like to just feel alone and not be able to know anyone. You may not fully understand prayer or whatever, but what it would be like if we could go and pray for them. So um, anyways, we do this barbecue. The biggest thing, uh, getting a little off topic right now, but the biggest thing for being in full-time campus ministry to coming here and moving in Smith Falls and putting roots in, we didn't like that word for so long, setting, you know, putting roots down, was that these things take longer. Like I'm trying to imagine if that was like a first-year dormitory and um, you would get to know everyone by like day four. You would know all the names, the people and different stuff about them, but like we're living here, we're going on our third year in this community, and man, it is slow going. But we're not going to let, we're going to try, we're going to try and walk across the street and go start up a conversation. I talked to the guy on my left about cars, and I, like I used to love cars, but it's just a lot of listening. And um, I talked to the other guy um, about construction, because he's got construction. I don't know a lot about construction, and he can probably tell by my questions. Um, And so different things like that. And it's not as much as I'd like to, but... um, you try and put people first. I want to tell you in closing about a guy named Anthony. Anthony is a really cool story. It reminds me about journeying alongside someone, about journeying alongside someone who you would say to yourself at first glance, whoa, 
this guy is not too interested in Christianity. Probably never will. He's intellectual. He's got his decisions made. He's, got, he's decided. And this is Anthony when we worked at the University of Guelph. Anthony was a really neat guy. He would dialogue with Christians, but he had firm, uh, firm beliefs about why Christians were in a category over here and oust him or say, well, let's move on to the next person that's probably a little bit more interested. We kept Anthony in our lives. And I'll just read something from him. After I left Guelph and came back here to Smith Falls, uh, I got this. Um, After hanging around Power to Change for a long time, Anthony finally gave his life to Christ last October. His life had been remarkably different ever since. He's so hungry for God's word, he attends all four of our weekly men's Bible studies. He's sharing Christ with friends and even his family. He's starting to get more plugged into the local church, leading an apologetics discussion group. What a difference Jesus makes in his life. Anthony did send me a message that, that, uh, yesterday, or the day after, and he said, Hey, Jordy, I think I accepted Christ last night. Um, uh, there was a handout on the way in. I just want to talk to you some, some application points in closing. There was a handout on the way in, and this came from the Meeting House. They did a series on prayer for the harvest. I've always appreciated the Meeting House and how they approach a, a culture and how the gospel applies to Canadian culture. And uh, so they, have these, they went through a, a series called Praying for the Harvest, and there are 10 things there to pray for. I'm going to give you a few other quick action points. I want you to consider these things. You can tell me I'm crazy, you've, or you've already done them before, or that didn't work. But here's a suggestion. If not already, pair up with a family in this church that you trust and meet the meal with some couples that are on your spiritual radar. Meet with the couple, meet with the family beforehand and pray and ask God to lead and guide it. Once a month for the rest of your life. I've never given a challenge like that before, but I decided to. Once a month for the rest of your life. Make a coffee date with someone, put it in the calendar and ask them this question. We've been friends for X number of years. Can I share with you what's most important in my life? We've been friends for the last four or five years. Can I be okay if your family prayed for them in my life? Ask someone at work directly if they would be okay if your family prayed for them if they were going through something. And then lastly, this church right here that you're sitting in, these people around you to your left and your right, this church right here. You must be a member for a reason or you must be visiting for a reason. You like this place. It's not perfect, but you are, be, you are being obedient and attending a local church. If this is a great place where loving be a comfort to people hang out a few times a week, why don't you invite people to it? That's not meant to be a confrontational question, but really, if these are the people that you trust because you know that they are trying and they're asking God for help in their life, then these people, I would think, would be the people that I would want my friends to meet. And, not, and inviting someone to church isn't necessarily the, the best step. But really, and I've noticed and I observed and I, when somebody new walks in and just having on your radar, who knows where they're coming from? And when you see someone go and greet someone, there's this person at our church and one time they got there before, the person that we invited got there before over here and brought, and I tell you, this guy had already made connections. He had already like took someone from over here and brought them over here and was making a connection uh, to make the person that we had invited feel comfortable. And I think that's a pretty neat thing when our radar is up to say, you know, this may be uh, someone new that's coming. So that's my challenge, Northgate. Uh, I bring greetings from Calvary Bible Church. It is so cool to be in 
uh, you know, Ottawa Valley and have partner churches where you know they're on board for uh, a lot of the stuff that we're doing. We're able to partner on different things. And so uh, I bring greetings from Calvary Bible Church in Smith Falls. And uh, this is my challenge for myself this morning. As you heard in my caveat that my wife and I have had conversations lately about are we doing these things? Are people important in our lives? Are we getting to know other people? So I am with you there. And it's a journey. And it's slower than I'd like it to be. But God is patient with us, and he's been very patient with us along our journey, and so I will continue to be patient and pray for a few people and try and get to know a few people, and we'll see how it goes. So let me pray uh, in closing. Lord, thank you for this morning and getting to be reminded of some things, people um, on our hearts. I pray that we would see people the way that you see them. Some of those would be, um, like you described, harassed and helpless, like a, a, um, a sheep without a shepherd, and it would cause us to care and it would cause us to be in people's lives and to journey alongside people and to be patient and to pray and to, to love them and to tell them about the hope that is in within, within us. I pray against fear. We recognize the enemy hates this topic, and so I just pray against fear in the name of Jesus Christ, and I ask, Lord, that um, you would show us how, how this, what this looks like for each of us this week. I pray this in your name. Amen.